Scripture lesson for this second Sunday in Advent, in Advent. <laughs> I'm going to blame every mistake I make on the new baby. <laughs> second Sunday in the season of Lent comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 60 through 69, so... Uh, if you're curious why the last two verses aren't in there, you can go ahead and read those on your own, I guess. Uh, so, uh, and if my seminary professor saw me reading from a Bible this small, she would fail me. So, um, I'm reading from the Common English Bible this morning. Many of Jesus' disciples who heard this said, this message is harsh, who can hear it? Jesus knew that the disciples were grumbling about this, and he said to them, does this offend you? What if you were to see the human one going up to where he was before? The spirit is the one who gives life and the flesh doesn't help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, yet some of you don't believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who wouldn't believe and the one who would betray him. He said, for this reason I have have said to you that none can come to me unless the Father enables them to do so. At this, many of his disciples turned away and no longer accompanied him. Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are God's Holy One. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the story goes that there were three pastors in a small town. One was a Catholic priest, one was a Baptist preacher, and the the other was a Presbyterian minister. You already know where this is going, I guess. (laughs) Well, it was a Presbyterian minister. It was a small town. They were the only churches in town, so they got together on a a regular basis. They got together for opportunities to discuss shared ministry or just to have some general fellowship in what could sometimes be a lonely profession. So that particular time, the Catholic priest was telling his colleagues how he was having an issue in his beautiful historic building. He said that there were a large number of bats that were building a home in the bell tower of his church. And so he said, you know, the church was a little low on funds, and so he decided he would try his hand at getting rid of the bats himself. And so he went up into the bell tower and he performed an exorcism, Um, (laughs) brought the holy water, did the whole rite, everything, but the bats were still there. So the Baptist preacher said, you know what, why don't I give you a hand? Why don't I try and help you out a little bit? Um, So they arranged for the Baptist preacher to come by, and so he went up into the bell tower, and he preached a sermon at those bats, uh, an hour-long sermon. He even gave an altar call at the end of the sermon. (laughs) But the bats still remained. So finally, the Presbyterian minister, seeing that his colleagues were unsuccessful, uh, he decided that he would go up into the bell tower. And so the the priest and the, the preacher watched as he went up, and then they A little while later, they saw the bats fly away, and they said, what did you do? How did you get the bats to leave? And the uh, the Presbyterian minister said, I baptize and confirm them and will never see them again. (laughs) It's an old joke, um, but it's one that speaks to the reality of decline that seems to be happening in our mainline denominations. 
Um, I told the joke using a Presbyterian minister, but really you could substitute any one of the mainline denominations in that joke. You could put in a, an Episcopalian, you could put in a Lutheran, a Methodist. We've all been dealing with decline that's been going on for the last uh, several decades. You know, mainline Christianity used to be the, the basis for American civil religion. You know, presidents were members of our denominations. If you wanted to be anyone influential in society, you were a member of our churches. And yet now that Christendom has sort of gone away, we're kind of figuring out who we're supposed to be in this new uh, religious landscape. Um, we are in this period of decline. Uh, Paul Eastock and, uh, or excuse me, Paul Nixon and Beth Ann Eastock in their book, Weird Church, says that in, our, in mainline denominations uh, like ours, the largest demographic are those who are age 65 and older, and the smallest are those who are 25 and younger. So among, that, those among those groups, that smaller, that younger group, there are a growing number of people that are known as the nuns. Not the relig Catholic religious or the nuns, but the nuns in the sense that they have no affiliation with any sort of religion. Um, they're actually the fastest growing uh, category in American religion currently, although they've kind of leveled off a little bit. And within that category of the nuns, there are what's known as the duns. So the people who grew up in the church, who grew up in, any, in some sort of institutional religion, and who have since left that faith. Um, you know, American, uh, you know, I'm going to grab my notes real quick. Um, who thought it was a good idea to try and memorize a sermon after having a baby? So, <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad for you nine o'clockers and I get to practice on you. <laughs> um, so this, this group, the nuns, is actually significantly larger than mainline Christianity uh, itself. Um, so within my, within my generation, the millennials, ages 26 to 41, we are just as likely to be religiously unaffiliated as we are to be part of any organized religion, which is in stark contrast to previous generations. And I want to be fair to the reality uh, as well. Uh, mainline Christianity has sort of become the poster child for American religious decline. People who take polls love to, to look at mainline Christianity and say, this is, America's on the, the, the fast decline towards secularism because of what mainline Christianity has gone through. But, and, and conservative evangelical churches used to look at mainline Christianity and they would say that the reason why we're in decline is because we've embraced more progressive forms of faith. Uh, there used to be a book out, I think it was called Why Conservative Churches Grow or Why Conservative Churches Are the Only Ones That Grow. You know, they, they looked at us like we had abandoned the true faith. Um, it was a way of making them feel good about themselves while pointing the finger at us. Well, the truth is, the latest poll that came out last year shows that uh, evangelical Christianity has declined slightly. Mainline Christianity has gone up a little bit, um, surprisingly, and the nuns have kind of leveled off a little bit. Now, none of that means that the trend is necessarily reversing, uh, the Pew Research poll found that for the first time in the history of their doing that poll, that uh, less than half of American adults uh, are part of any organized religion, are part of any mosque, synagogue, or church. So we are in this period of decline, um, and so we're, we're having to wonder, we're having to, to, rapple, to grapple with that question, what are we to do when our churches seem to be getting smaller? But thankfully... We're not the first ones who have to deal with that question. Jesus, in our gospel lesson for this morning, has to deal with that question. Um, 
The section that we read here this morning comes at the end of a very long sermon from Jesus. It happens after Jesus feeds the 5,000. Remember, we, we had that story last week where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with my little video sermon, which felt like the beginning of the pandemic again. Uh, hopefully that worked out okay. <laughs> um, so Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, that's the only miracle story of Jesus that occurs in all four of the Gospels. So while that's true that it appears in all four of the Gospels, John likes to always do something different with his Gospel. John always likes to kind of march to the beat of his own drum. Like Frank Sinatra, he kind of does it his own way. Um, so when he tells this story of the feeding of the 5,000, he then has Jesus launch into this long discussion about how he is the bread of life. And this is pretty typical of John, that when John gives us miracle stories, it's not just about the miracle, it's about what the miracle points us towards. So in the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles, and they're called signs. So they point beyond themselves, they point to a deeper reality. So everybody's favorite miracle in all the Gospels is when Jesus turns the water into wine. We all love that story, right? Jesus' first miracle is tending bar at a wedding. Um, But it's not about the magic trick. It's not about the wine. It's about what the wine points us towards. It points us towards the messianic age, that the good intentions of God are arriving in the world through Jesus. Or uh, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it's not about Jesus just raising this one person from the dead. It's about how Jesus is the resurrection and the life, how he is someone who brings life into all of those places where there seems to be death, all of those places where there seems to be no way forward, that Jesus makes this way out of no way. Uh, so this is really something I think that, that makes people love the Gospel of John so much, is that he speaks in this sort of, Jesus speaks in this sort of esoteric kind of way, this way that draws us into a deeper reality. And so when we come to this miracle of giving and sharing bread among the 5,000, For John, it's not just about the bread. It's about how Jesus is the bread of life. It's about what the bread symbolizes. So in John's story, Jesus feeds the 5,000 on the hillside, and then Jesus and the disciples try to go away to get some rest. But the crowds follow him, and they follow him because they've had their daily needs met, and they want Jesus to provide them with some more bread. But Jesus is not here just to meet their their physical daily needs. That Jesus is there to offer them something more than that. You know, think about the sort of people we offer our compassion to, people who we feed. Uh, They don't need just food. They need love and, and grace and they need some sort of human connection. And so Jesus is trying to offer them something more than just their daily bread. He's actually offering them his very self. That by saying he is the bread of life, he's saying he is the thing which truly satisfies. And so he starts launching into this discussion about how the the people need to to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. And and we don't even question that, right, anymore. We know about that sort of thing. We know he's talking about communion. Um, We don't just come for the bread. None of us are coming just for those little to-go cup breads, right? (laughs) Like, well, we come because it symbolizes something deeper, And that's what Jesus is offering to the crowds. And yet, when he offers that to them, they say, Jesus, this is a difficult teaching. They're a little weirded out by the idea of eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. They say, who can accept this? And so they decide to turn away. They decide to to go back to whatever they were doing before they uh, followed Jesus. This is the large, part of the large crowd that followed Jesus around. 
And so Jesus then turns to his 12 disciples, the, the inner circle, and he says, do you also want to leave? You can almost hear the, the sadness in Jesus' voice. Do you also want to leave? Is this also too hard for you? Jesus is offering his very self. That's one of the, the beautiful things about the Gospel of John is that as Jesus offers himself to people, he's offering the same sort of relationship he has with God to everybody else, that they are meant to be drawn into that sort of connection. And yet, the people want to leave. Many of the people want to leave. And so as we reflect on, the, on our own context and the decline that exists within our own contemporary society, it raises the question of, of what makes it difficult for people to stay in the church today? Um, you know, one of the things that's striking to me is that the reason why I think so many people are leaving, I think the reason why so many of those nearly dones are leaving is because they want Jesus, but they're being offered something much more shallow. I think it's the exact opposite reason why people leave in the Gospel of John, that they leave because they just want the shallow thing and Jesus is offering them themselves, but the reason why I think people are leaving now is because they want that deep reality that Jesus offers here in the Gospel of John. I think one of the things that's interesting is as you, as you listen to the nuns and the duns, um, one of the things that's striking to me is that they talk about how much they love Jesus, but they also have a hard time with the church. We love Jesus, they say. We're just a little skeptical of Christians. We love Jesus. We're just not big fans of his fan club. Um, they love Jesus. They want to connect with him. They, come, they still come searching for him. Faced with decline, we could ask the question, why are people leaving? And the answer, of course, is enormous, and I can't answer it all here this morning, and there's books being written about that whole idea of why people are leaving, but you know, a few reasons we could say people are leaving is maybe some are leaving because faith seems a little superstitious to them. You know, and there's sort of these sort of weird, strange stories. I mean, we heard it this morning, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Um, science explains everything, so people are leaving for that reason. Or the, the age-old question of the problem of evil. Um, how could a good and powerful God allow for there to be evil in the world? a pandemic that went on for two years, a war in Ukraine. We, we maybe have some compassion for that reason why. We ask those questions too. It's a, it's a question that's addressed within the Bible itself. Or the question or the answer that I've seen a lot in my own life are people who leave just because of relevance. Their lives are already fulfilled. They're already busy. So what could the church possibly add to that? But the thing that really strikes me, the thing that really hits home for me among those who are nearly done who are nearly leaving, is that they have sought Jesus their whole lives, that they are looking for Jesus, and the church, the communities that they have been part of, has not helped them along the way in that journey. One of the things I think that you all should be aware of um, that's happening out there in the world right now, especially among more conservative evangelicals, it's what's known as deconstruction. Um, so these are people who are deconstructing their faith. These are people who grew up in the church, who have heard their whole lives about how God loves them, who have heard about Jesus, who not only cared for the poor, but lived among the poor. And yet they found that their faith did not address those sorts of things. And so they are deconstructing, they're pulling apart their faith in search for Jesus. They're doing it in order to save their faith. And so 
they are facing that question from Jesus, do you also want to leave? And maybe it's disappointing to you to know, or maybe it will be disappointing for you to know, that I don't have a whole lot of answers about what to do about decline. Um, if, I, if I did, I'd have a lot more money than I do currently. Um, <laughs> I'd be writing books, I'd be, the, the presbytery would have me on some advisory board, um, but I don't have, I don't really have a whole lot of answers. I think the people who do claim to have answers are also figuring all of this out in real time. But what I do have is my own story of why I've stayed, of what's kept me here. Not only what's kept me here, but I'm also an ordained pastor. My paycheck relies upon me staying, you know. I feed my family by staying. Um, I have my own story. And when I think about that question, do you also want to leave? As I've faced that question in my own life, as I've gone through my own period of deconstruction, of pulling apart my faith, of figuring out what's real, I've, ga- I've given that same answer that Simon Peter gives. Where else would I go? You have the words of eternal life. And we hear that, that where else would we go? We kind of think of it as, you know, I have no other options. No, it's I don't want to go anywhere else. Jesus has the words of eternal life, and we've been so conditioned to hear that, that phrase, eternal life, and to think that Jesus is talking about where I'm going to go when I die, probably the morgue, but... Um, <laughs> We think about it as, as, as life after death, but in John, eternal life is about life with God that begins here and now, that Jesus has the words of eternal life, of words of connection with God, words of love and, and justice and mercy. Jesus has those words. Where else am I going to go? And I have found those words expressed within the church. And I want to be clear here that, that not everybody who leaves, not everybody who's none and done has left and has left Jesus behind. Sometimes people leave the church and in order to find Jesus, they can't be part of the church anymore. But for me, where I have found Jesus, where I have found those words of eternal life is in the expression of community. Where else am I to go? In my own sort of neuroses with perfectionism, where am I to go to find someone who offers words of grace words of love, a community that reminds me that I am good enough just as I am? Where else am I to go to find someone who lifts me above my own individual concerns and reminds me of who my neighbor is? Where else am I to go to find a vision of the world, the the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, a world remade, a world touched in all ways by love and justice and mercy? I think the fact that people are looking for those sorts of things is a challenge to us as a community to be a, a channel of Jesus' presence in the world. That as people are looking for those things, we can be the sort of community that, that offers that to them. And as we offer that, people might begin to say, as they're faced with that question, do you also want to leave? Might begin to say, where else are we to go? For in Jesus, we have found the words of eternal life. We have found in Jesus the words of life with God. Thanks be to God. Amen.